1: Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrowcom slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than forty gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com
2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. A big night for Graham Potter. A very comfortable win over AC Milan keeps Chelsea in contention to get through the group. If Trent helped his case to get on that plane, Rhys James just walked straight past him into business class while Aubameyang looks like he might be quite good as a centre forward. Manchester City, something, something, Erling Haaland. Even opposition players think he's not of this earth. Wild celebrations for Celtic for 37 seconds before Joe Hart decides to pass the ball to the opposition. A cracker from Jude Bellingham for Dortmund in Seville who decide to sack their manager straight afterwards. Messi and Vinicius both score beauties, and Rabio is Rabio is Rabio is, is scoring goals in a crucial win for Juve. All that, plus an update on the fittest 38 year old on earth, an interesting musical request, your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Nader Manuaha, how are you, mate? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? I'm um, well, nice to see you. Nikki Bandini, hello. Morning. And Barry Glendenny, welcome. Hello, Max. Uh, Sid Lowe will be with us uh, in a part's time to talk about all the Spanish teams. Let's start at Stamford Bridge. uh, Chelsea 3, AC Milan 0. Paul says, are Chelsea back? Are Chelsea back, Nadem? Were were they ever away? Where exactly (laughs) are
0: Chelsea? (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, they're... Yeah, I guess, I guess this means that they are back. It's obviously a very strong result, strong performance. And, you know, obviously some people that work alongside you say that this is the worst team out of Italy ever and Serie A should just <laughs> cease to exist after this game. But I don't necessarily agree with that. But, you know, you look at the Chelsea team and they've got really good players in it and a, and a good manager. So surely at some point you expect them to have an upturn in form. And I think the performance yesterday and, you know, some of the not- notable goals as well. Like credit to them, I guess you'd say they're back even though they never really left since it's October. How
2: how how important is that for Graham Potter? I can't remember Nadan if we've asked you specifically about this, about somebody coming into a dressing room of superstars and winners who doesn't have that pedigree, who's got a great he's got a great pedigree of his own, but it's not at that level.
0: I think it I think it ultimately depends. And I think for the teams who are trying to be really successful and are close to it, there's a different mentality amongst the workforce because they want to be the best and they want to see what they can achieve with whoever comes in. And I think there's a different level of respect, whereas realistically, it's that next sort of tier where people believe that nothing's ever their fault. And as a consequence, they don't need to listen to somebody unless they, they arrive with 20 Champions League medals and all sorts around the neck. So I think I think they'll respect him because he's been selected for a reason. And at the end of the day, as a player, if you, if you want to play on a week-to-week basis, you have to listen to what the manager says and go out and try and do it. And I think ultimately, because everyone believes that Potter is a good manager, the likelihood is his training sessions will be good. Him as a person, he'll be good and the players will see themselves getting better. And ultimately, I think, you know, some people might say Tuchel cool left too early and the like, but maybe for some it was getting a bit stale and a bit repetitive. So that sense of something new might be the inspiration that they need. And if performances like yesterday are to go by, then they're very much heading in the right direction.
3: How much difference does it make, and to get those results quickly? Because I feel like... There's sort of a, a momentum. I know we sort of talk about in sports me mm-hmm. be quite wishy washy, but there is something to a group dynamic. And when you're all sort of working together on something, mm-hmm. if someone comes in and, and achieves something right away, you're like, okay, I believe in this person. I'm willing to go with this person a bit more.
0: I think it, to be honest, I think it's more so dependent on performance. Like the best thing you can have is good performance and a good result. But I think mm-hmm. sometimes if the performance is there and you can see how it's working, then great. But then the other side's also true where the performance doesn't change and you're losing. You're like, well, I feel like we've seen this somewhere before. But you can see the players, you know, tactically, they're very good. Technically, they're very good as well. And if the manager just has a few tweaks, like Tuchel lost his job, but it's not like Chelsea needs to be completely, like, redesigned. They they kind of know what they're doing. They're playing a formation, which they've seen before, with players in the same positions that we've seen before. But it's just the little tweaks which, you know, make a big difference when the standard of opposition is so, so high. Rob says it's Trent v Reese, the
2: new Lampard v Gerrard. I guess it's slightly (laughs) different, Barry, isn't it? Because,
0: you know, it's hard to really get them both
4: in the same team. And and Reese James was superb yesterday. Well, even before we get on to this tedious um, argument, I think (laughs) maybe there's a danger, like with the Liverpool win over Rangers, of, of reading too much into this game. Because AC Milan were decimated by injuries, they didn't play well. And. They didn't take much beating. Uh, I am intrigued by uh, the fact that Graham Potter appears to have got a stylist since moving to that
0: there big London. It's West London, eh? Told uh, you. Told you uh, that with Ben Mee as well. Yeah. Ben me as well, I remember
4: it? Yeah. I, I presume he and Ben Mee are, are shopping in the same uh, boutiques and it, going to the same very expensive hairdresser. But he looked like a cross between. Johnny Cash and the military man last
2: night. Actually, Barry, we did have a great question on this from Kenneth, who says, what does the pod think about Graham Potter's new look? Always thought he was a tracksuit kind of guy, but ever since he got the Chelsea job, he's been looking rather dapper in the dugout. You think he's overcompensating or he always wanted to dress like this but was waiting for the right job? Also, if he wanted to dress like this, why did he feel Brighton weren't good enough for this style? Is this
4: disrespectful to Brighton? (laughs) There's so many questions there that I just don't have the answers to, but I'm sure he could have dressed like that anywhere. I I have no idea what what he dressed like when he was in... What what was it? Fosterson's, was was it? uh, uh, Miss... Yes, ostracisms. Like, did he wear a woolen bobble hat, <laughs> 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 a big raincoat? I, I just don't know. I've probably offended tens of hundreds of thousands of people there with that throwaway remark. But um, yeah, look, you know, we all know Reese James is a good player. The, no one's denying that. Um, he didn't have to do very much defending last night, in the same way Trent Alexander-Arnold didn't have to do any. Uh, defending the the night before that, they both scored very good goals. We've seen Reece James score that goal quite a few times. It's like the the trademark Man City pullback goal. That's the trademark Reece James James goal, cut inside, take a touch and rifle it into the roof of the net with it from a tight angle. So I don't know. I don't think we learned much from from either game because uh, the opposition up against Chelsea and the opposition up against Liverpool were were quite feeble.
2: Nicky, Nadim was alluding to uh, Jamie O'Hara on TalkSport saying that, you know, the whole of Serie A should be ashamed of themselves (laughs) because AC Milan didn't play brilliantly last night. But they didn't play brilliantly last night. Were you surprised that they were that flat?
3: Well, I was surprised it was that far, definitely. I didn't think it was going to be as bad as that. I definitely didn't think we were going to see Milan at their best either. Um, as I was saying to you on the group chat before we started, Max, it's a shame that, that we don't have any other recent games between Premier League sides and Serie A sides that we could use to put some context on one game um, taken on its own.
4: I'll be honest, I, I'd forgotten what game you were alluding to. I had to go and check and then realise yeah. <laughs> Liverpool-Napoli. So maybe Jamie O'Hara has, has a similar goldfish-like memory to me.
3: There, there has been a lot of football recently, and uh, and I was actually thinking to myself, even if you go back a season and Chelsea specifically, you could look at Chelsea in the group stage last season, losing to Juventus and beating them four 0 as evidence that you don't necessarily getting going to get the same result even between two same teams playing twice in a row. I, I think, um, Rhys James is is very much at the heart of the of the conversation on on the Italian side of it as well because before this game, I actually had quite a lot of people in Italy talking about that side of the pitch. As, as where you would expect Milan to find some joy because they've been watching the Italian national team with Federico Dimarco, who's not as good at an attacking player as Leao is, getting joy down that flank for Italy against England in the Nations League, and I do think when we talk about the absentees, I said this to you last night um, on on Stand Sports, Max. There are some that stand out more than others. Milan are missing a lot of players, but there's some that stand out more than others. And I think the biggest one by far is Teo Hernandez. And it's not just because Teo Hernandez is a good footballer. It's because of how Milan like to play. And and because Leao is the one really sort of standout attacking talent they've got, under Stefano Pioli, they've really come to this pattern of overloading that side of the pitch very heavily. So you have Sandro Tonali drifts out from the field to occupy the sort of left midfield position. You have Teo Hernandez, who pushes very, very high from left back. And then you have Leao in that space already. So you end up with this three, this triangle of, of three of the most talented players in the team occupying very high positions on the pitch. And you take Te- Hernandez out of that equation. You have Balotore playing there, who, look, he did score against Empoli at the weekend, but he started one game this season, I think five last season. He's a young player who hasn't played a lot for Milan. And it does inevitably change that dynamic a lot. It changes what you can expect from that side of the pitch a lot. Look, Teo Hernandez is expected back for the game against Juventus at the weekend. He'll play, probably, if he plays in this game, he'll play the the return game against Chelsea. We'll see if it makes a difference. Maybe it won't. Maybe Chelsea really are just that superior. But I do think, again, you only have to go back to Chelsea-Juventus last season to see that even two teams, so we're not even talking about leagues, two teams, can play two very different matches home and away in the same group stage.
2: A question on Aubameyang, Nadan, because he, he, he's already been in the Premier League and he left under a bit of a cloud and he didn't sign for hundreds of millions of pounds. There wasn't really a fanfare. He wasn't like a new, shiny, exciting thing. And not, I don't know if even, even Chelsea fans were that excited about his arrival, but he does look like sort of the first number nine for Chelsea. who looks like he might be quite good for, I don't know, decades.
0: Well, yeah, I, I know where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from. And and it is fair. It wasn't like the biggest and loudest signing ever. And I guess some of that sort of dissipated as soon as Tuchel lost his job. But he knows what he's doing. He's a goal scorer. He can play centrally. He can stretch the game. And I think, to be honest, looking at, say, Mount and Sterling just in behind him, I, I kind of like it. And it could work for them. It could work really, really well. But then, you know, if some of the stuff, some of the problems that existed at Arsenal start to sort of raise their head again, then what's the situation that Chelsea are going to be in? But for now, like, he's enjoying it. Again, someone else enjoying West London, enjoying playing football there. And uh, yeah, long may continue, even though essentially, you know, he's probably sensing, he can see the end of his career a lot clearer than some people who are maybe a few years younger. And I think for me, that was my sort of only real negative with the signings because it feels like some of the other clubs is kind of building. But in Aubameyang, this is a very much a right now type signing. But if you need something now, then yeah, there's... Arguably, nobody better that was available at the time. I suppose if you if you notice it's the end of your career, do you start thinking
2: I really should like make the absolute most of of this time?
0: Possibly, possibly. But then this is when we enter the realm of perception, because there are people who will be 30 plus who are playing some of the best football in their career. But because they are 30 plus, they won't be desired in the same way some they would be if they were four or five years younger. So I think for him to get the opportunity to play for Chelsea, to be playing in the Champions League and to be about part of a project where, you know, maybe it won't happen this year, but, you know, they want to win everything that's that they're involved in. And that's a that's a great spot because from this moment, if he leaves to Chelsea, if he leaves Chelsea, maybe he won't have that opportunity again. So I think it was a great opportunity for him. It's a good stars align in terms of Barcelona, getting rid of players, bringing players in, all that stuff. So yeah, good luck to him. He's got a great opportunity and he's started off well scoring goals.
2: Quick one on Tamori, Nicky. I guess a lot of our discussions will be about players who may or may not get into the England squad between now and when Southgate announces it. But I think because Maguire's not been playing well, and I think Tomori can play on that left of a three, there's been a sort of a clamour for him. And actually, I mean, he didn't cover himself in glory last night, but but he's not been playing brilliantly this season, actually.
3: No, and, and actually, again, maybe Nadim has has some perspective on this as, as someone who's played at those levels. Like it, it's, it's hard for me to fully explain to you why Tomori... Is not playing at the same levels last season because not much has changed in terms of his role. Like his role is the same at, at Milan. He's still playing alongside Kalulu. Sure, there's been some injuries around them. You know, you could talk about the fullbacks. It wasn't just here. And is missing. You've got Davide Calabria who's missing on the other side. So you are talking about a changing rotation of players around them. But to me, it just looks like from the outside, Tamori has lost a little bit of confidence this season. Not in a sort of he looks... I don't know. Not that he looks sort of too passive. If anything, I think it looks like he's trying to overcompensate. It looks like he's trying to pursue things too hard. He's trying to push things too hard and that's getting him into trouble. But for instance, if we talk about the second goal, it's not about his technical ability. It's not about things that we think he can or can't do. The ball just goes through him. And I think that's just one of those things that happens to a player who, for whatever reason, their their head is moving on a different Track to their to their feet at that moment in time, and it and it has felt a bit like that in Serie A all season. He said it in interviews with the English press before he um, before the game. He said he felt like he wasn't playing at the levels he did last season, and I think every Milan supporter, every Milan um, observer would would agree with that. You think about the game against Napoli, which they lost to a header from Giovanni Simeone, who is a lot shorter than than Fick and, and who isn't as um, it shouldn't be controlling those situations inside the box. Again, last season would that have happened? I, I'm not convinced it would. Was that even the moment that cost him some confidence? I, I I'm not sure, but it, it feels from the outside like this is a player who's who thinks he's not getting things right and that therefore is overcompensating and pushing too hard. And and he's not. Right now, I, I wouldn't say he should be in the England team because he's he's not playing at the level he did last season.
0: The problem is sometimes when you know you're making a mistake because then you can really think about the depth of like how bad it is in any particular moment. And being a defender, you can't just go and just fix it straight away, especially if it leads to a goal. You don't get a chance to replay that exact same scenario and do it differently. So then you start, for some people anyway, you start thinking about the next action. And when you start thinking about little things within the game itself, you've gone off playing on automatic. And that's when your performance kind of slips a little bit. Like, technically, you're in the wrong place. All right, I'm going to really, really try hard to win this header really, really hard. And then you do it differently to how you would do if you were just playing the game of football. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's what it is. It is a game. And for some of the best of the best, like, their fundamentals are so sound, they don't have to think about them. But when you then enter a place when you're thinking about your fundamentals, lo and behold, the standard's not the same. And say for that goal yesterday, Aubameyang's won. He's in the wrong position and he's swung with the wrong leg to try and clear the ball. So it's exceptionally unorthodox. Yeah. And he's better than that, right? He's, he's, he's you know so much he better can, than that. Yeah, He's so much better than that. But that's the position he found himself in. And now if he's somebody who's quite thoughtful, he'll realize that. It's asking him, asking more questions of himself and think that every time something bad happens, everybody's looking at him. And realistically, they're not. But this is unfortunately the sort of downside of football, because when things are going well, it's the easiest job in the world. But when things aren't going so well, you just sort of feel criticism coming from everywhere. And even when it's yourself, it makes it just that little bit harder.
4: It's like me learning my golf swing yesterday. Matthew.
0: <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> There's so many, so many different things to remember. See, you know,
4: I'm just having a few practice ones while my mate behind is getting the instruction and I'm hitting the ball straight down the fairway. Then the instructor comes over or the teacher and he's telling me, right, keep that heel down keep your head still, move your hips more. And you, you've you got all these different things to remember. So as soon as I fire one or take a shot with him watching me, I completely mess it up. So I totally identify with uh, <laughs> Tamori. And with the guy Tamori. Yeah.
0: And Max, it's, it's, like, it's like you and podcasting, you know what I mean? Like you come onto the show, your light's out. You don't even need to think about anything. But imagine yeah. if you came onto the show and you're trying to remember how to read. You know what I mean? Like, that that's basically what he might be going through in the worst moments. Mate, you should watch the first two years of my soccer AM career. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did, you, I you did, want, trust me. If
2: you want that if you want that kind of utter terror. Uh, the interesting <laughs> thing about um this group, and actually quite a few of the groups, is they're so evenly poised, aren't they? Salzburg beat Dinamo Zagreb one-nil. So they're on five points, Chelsea and Milan on four, Zagreb on three. Any two can get through, and it's the return fixtures next week um one group that isn't like that is group g manchester city have three wins from three uh dortmund uh have uh, beaten severe and copenhagen and man city beat copenhagen five nil yesterday ian says did harland come off at half time because there's not enough room in his house for another match ball here's a question from ali he says if if you were to give nadam all of the chances that Haaland has had this season how many
0: goals would he have scored uh, somewhere, it would be non-zero but I wouldn't bet, a, I think the over-under would be about two, I'd say two and I think I'd go under like he's, even though he's scoring these goals and he makes it look easy I think that's a skill in itself because he's finding the time, the space on the technique like his first goal yesterday with his right foot, his weaker foot in air yeah. quotes that's the one whereby you lean back and you kick it into, not Z, but looking around M or N, somewhere like that, you know what I mean it's definitely <laughs> gone over the bar and it's not really threatening the goal, but he's technically very, very proficient. He makes really good runs, and he's just really good at finishing. And do you know what? There's something for you here, a little bit of insight. Everybody appreciates that he's incredible, but I think he surprised some of the City team because every time I hear somebody having to talk about him, firstly, it's them having to talk about him as opposed to them talking about him openly. They say, oh, like Mahrez was just saying yesterday, oh, he surprised us. He surprised us. And I'm like, oh, 14 goals, 17 goals? He's... Okay, so that makes me think that for the standard that they have in terms of technique and all that stuff, I don't think Haaland's necessarily there yet. But the sheer volume of goals and the way he's just finishing everything, like, I guess that's kind of caught them off guard. But it seems really obvious from our standpoint now, doesn't
2: it? We, we had quite an interesting conversation on Monday. Um, John Bruin was talking about you know whether Haaland is good for business or not. And, and sort of referenced Tiger Woods being great for golf, Michael Schumacher being Bad for F one because he made it so boring. And actually, we we chatted about this on the TV yesterday, Nikki, and, and you made quite an interesting point about Haaland.
3: Well, I, I I just sort of feel like the 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 things for me personally, I, I want to see great athletes. That's why I think I've always enjoyed sports. Why I love watching not just football, other sports is when you see someone do something that you think flipping hell, how do they do that? That's what makes you get out of your seat. That's what thrills you. But the thing that made I think certain athletes stand out even more was when there was a great rivalry is what we were talking about last night. I think when I think about um, in tennis, Roger Federer, I think part of why I enjoyed Roger Federer so much was because you also had Nadal and Nadal was this complete contrast of styles who was also able to completely dominate Federer in certain settings. And so you had this debate, this contest, this this challenge to him. And I think you see the same in football with um, Messi and Ronaldo. Would we have loved those players as much if it was just them dominating everything solo? Or was it better because you could say, oh, Messi or Ronaldo and people pick their side of which kind of football they enjoy more and would argue about who was better? And I think maybe that's the thing that will make Haaland even more of a sort of uh, a lasting figure is if there can be someone who can become the the, the foil to him. Now, maybe that is... Again, as I said last night, maybe that's Mbappe and PSG. Maybe in the end of this generation, we'll look at those two and their careers and where they've ended up. But yeah, I think that's what always sort of makes these individuals most exciting is when you've got someone you can set them against, go, oh, these were the two of their time.
0: I think the Messi-Ronaldo rivalry, even though they were the best of the best, I think the fact that it was Barcelona and Real Madrid kind of played off on that. Yeah. So even if, say, Mbappe was on 17 goals this season, same rate as Haaland, the comparison's a bit harder because someone say, yeah, but he only did it against Montpellier or something like that. And they'll be like saying, yeah, but he only did it against Southampton or something. So I think that's a, I think that's a good point. And to find that sort of nemesis in the Premier League at this moment, all the people who will end up doing well, the people we've seen do it before. So it doesn't quite carry the same weight, but for a 22 year old to be doing what he's doing and to be doing so impressively, like it's, I don't know it's special and I've heard people say you know it's wrong it's cheating it's this it's that it's whatever like fair enough you can think that but I actually quite enjoy seeing how like a number nine can move and I I watch some of the best players in the Premier League and other leagues because i, I like to see how well they do I'll be watching Lewandowski with Barcelona and think like you know this guy's special and to have a generational talent in the Premier League whether for me whether I like City or I don't it's just good to see how he moves and just be glad that I never have to play against anything like that ever. An <laughs> interesting thing Barry with with City is, you know, they took Harlan off at half time. They can
2: bring on these amazing young prospects, you know. They've got like Sergio Gomez. I'm not sure I even know who that is, Barry. And it's just an international level
4: footballer. I mean, they won 5 0 yesterday, and the uh, FC Copenhagen goalkeeper, Camille Guevara, was by a mile their standout player. He pulled off some sensational staves. Weirdly, I'd read an article in The Guardian, uh, Guardian Australia. Uh, yesterday, in which Matt Ryan was saying how much he was dreading/slash looking forward to being in goal against uh, City and and facing Haaland, and and then Grabera turned up wearing this this mask. So I, d- I don't know what happened to Australia's Matt Ryan, but I think he dodged a bullet anyway. <laughs> yeah, Haaland came off at half time. He looked very fed up. I thought maybe he was injured, and, um, but apparently that's not the case. He's just been rested ahead of his. Uh, third consecutive hat trick uh, <laughs> at home against Southampton <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> I kind of forget that City are far from a one-man team. If if he had been injured and he was out for a month, they'd probably cope. They'd probably manage okay. But um, just to see Jack Grealish, who had another outstanding game, but has again been overshadowed. Of course, uh, talking about him yesterday, he's just just laughing at how good he is. And apparently Grebera had had been laughing with Grealish about, you know, how does he do it? How does he manage to always be in the right place? I think with Haaland, it's it's like that thing where asking if the FA Cup had lost its magic became so cliched that you trotted out this tedious gag about um, is asking if the FA Cup has lost its magic. Has that lost its magic? And <laughs> not only are people now running out of superlatives for Haaland in early October, they're now at the point where they're running out of ways of saying they've run out of super- superlatives. So I, I just don't know what we're going to do.
2: I think I went about five seasons of, you know, has the text topic, has the phone in, has the FA Cup lost its <laughs> magic, lost its magic, lost its magic before I lost the will to live myself. But listen, I would say, Barry, there's nothing wrong with hammering out a joke as long as you possibly can.
4: Oh, no, not, not at all.
2: <laughs> That'll do for part one. Sid Lowe joins us. Uh, we'll do the other game from this group, Sevilla Dortmund. Uh, uh, Julian Lopetegi was sacked after that game. welcome to part two of the guardian football weekly let's welcome sid Lowe. hey sid good morning max lovely to see you as it always is so let's start um with uh, Sevilla Dortmund, we've just done the City-Copenhagen game. Uh, that's just for your <laughs> benefit, that everyone else they knows. know that, good. Um, I know. Unless they haven't been listening. <laughs> well, they might have jumped straight yeah, to my true. section,
5: which would be only natural, obviously. Of course.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Welcome, everybody. Do I have to introduce all the panellists again? Here we go. Look, Sevilla lost 4-1 at home to Dortmund. Uh, they sacked up They're 17th in La Liga. What has happened there?
5: Oh, crikey. Um, it's difficult to know where to start with this because they're... They're awful this season, but actually it comes—it starts a little bit earlier than that. They, they, I think I'm right in saying won only six times in 2022, the back end of last year, and they, they'd gone into the Christmas break. <laughs> should, should we do the joke answer for this, Max? They got into the Christmas break thinking that they could maybe win the league, and then they signed Anthony Martial. So there's, 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 there's the joke for you. Now, uh, so they, they okay. did that. But actually what that told you in, in, the, in the winter break was they, they kept the two central defenders. They signed Martial. They had uh, Tecatito Corona come in because they, I think they felt they were, they were standing before a, a possibly unique opportunity. A season in which Madrid and Barcelona weren't convincing. They were, they were right up at the top of the table. There's a sense that this team really could win the league. And it kind of fell away really slowly because they didn't lose games. They only lost twice in the second half of the season. But they just kept on drawing and drawing and drawing. And slowly the whole thing kind of ground to halt. Then, of course, what happened in the summer was the inevitable. And those two central defenders did go. And for a lot of this season, they have looked like a team that's had its best two central defenders taken away. You know, that's that's been part of it. They don't score uh, enough goals. The forwards miss too many chances. But it, it, kind of the whole thing has come off. And and you look at it, and it's just entirely logical on on one level. But there is also that intangible that's difficult to put your finger on the 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 the, the inability to turn possession into into proper chances or to goals. Uh, that kind of slight breakdown of. Of, of the connection, if you like, throughout the squad. And there's a big battle over control of the club as well. Um, and and ultimately, I think Lopetegui's sacking was inevitable to the extent that the biggest complaint I think people have now really is that this didn't happen in the summer when they could have got a manager in with the time to build the squad in his own image, with the time to kind of construct a team his own way. And now, of course, you've got Sampaoli turning up midway through the season and probably completely changing their approach.
2: The inability to turn possession into goal sounds ideal as the man to take over at Wolves, which <laughs>
5: he, he might be doing. He was so close to going to Wolves before he got the Spain job, Julian Lopetegui. And, and remember, he, he did an interview with The Guardian about this, that he'd actually started working for them without having officially joined them. You know, he was advising them on players to sign, talking about how they would structure it all. They were kind of all ready to, to, to get this done. And then Spain turned up. And, of course, we know how the Spain thing ended very, very badly indeed. Yes. And, and not, very, because, very quickly and not well. because of anything that he did wrong in terms of the football. You know, they, they, that, that Spain team was brilliant. That Spain team had a fantastic qualifying record, played really lovely football, scored loads of goals. And then obviously in Russia, bang, it, it's, it's all over. Um, so, so, yeah, the relationship with, with Wolves goes back a long way. In terms of the analysis of Wolves, I'm afraid I'm not the person to tell you because I don't watch any Wolves.
2: I love the idea of him having covert meetings with Steve Ball to, you know, to understand the lounges at Molyneux before he takes the job. Um, um, Bellingham's got a wonderful goal in this game, didn't
5: he? Uh, it was, it was love- really, really enjoyable watching him. It's true that Sevilla didn't so much have a midfield that looked a bit weak as apparently not have a midfield at all. And, and, and Dortmund seemed to be able to go right, right through the middle of it. But, but Bellingham was, was, was really lovely to watch.
2: Let's move to Group F, uh, where Real Madrid are top, Shakhtar second, Leipzig third and Celtic fourth. Before we do the Real Madrid game, Sid, uh, let's do the Celtic game. They lost 3-1 in Leipzig. Barca gym, friend of the show. Is Celtic the only team in Europe that get out of jail and then break back in? Um, the highlight of this moment, Barry, was... Just that sort of two minutes where Dortmund had the goal disallowed and then Joe Hart decided to let them have a goal.
4: It wasn't two minutes, Max. It was less than 40 seconds. Uh, <laughs> and Leipzig's uh, Hungarian midfielder, Dominic Szoboszlai he scored a beauty of a goal. But um, Leipzig's two-goal hero on the night, Andres Silva, was was in an offside position. And I think he was in Joe Hart's Eye line because he had to duck out of the way of the shot so it could go in. Goal was disallowed. That was the second goal RB Leipzig had had, had disallowed. The other for a fractional like toe offside by Nkunku, who was hugely impressive. So the goal's disallowed. It's still one all. Celtic have got out of jail. And then they proceed, as Barca Jim says, to break back in again when Joe Hart inexplicably... Passes the ball to Shabaslai, who I would imagine was feeling very hard done by it at having his fine goal disallowed. Seconds previously, he played the ball forward to, uh, I think, it was Silva, and Silva scored into the corner. Really sloppy from Joe Hart, who otherwise had a very good game. He made some excellent saves, but once again, uh, for the third time in three games. Celtic's uh, profligacy in front of goal cost them, but they were, they were second best on the night and, and deserved losers, I would say.
2: I thought Leipzig played really well. It's a shame, Nadeem, isn't it, for, for Joe Hart? I presume you know Joe Hart pretty well. And these discussions about can he play out of the, from the back and Pep getting rid of him for that reason. And actually, he has improved that part of his game. That being said, you you shouldn't kick it to the opponent then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well... I think that's a, that's a fair hypothesis and we'll continue to study the game of football to see if that's going to be a conclusive fact come the end. But yeah, I when you sent the um, video into the group chat yesterday, I was like, ah, damn it. Because like, I don't like to be biased, but I do like Joe Hart and he is a good friend of mine. But that bit of play was awful. It really was. Even from, obviously you can talk about the technical deficiency with the pass itself. And I think he was trying to play it to the left back or whatever, but the, it's the timing of it. Like, I'll be feeling upset because I've had a goal chalked out. The crowd are raucous. The, t- the players are really, really passionate as well. So at that point, you've just got to try and silence them. Just give it a few minutes and just don't take any chances, any risks. But then instead, the place is bouncing doubly now. And it's he, he, you know, he knows better than that. He won't be making... I imagine he won't be making those sorts of mistakes again, hopefully, because I can't continue to talk about it. But yeah, he's a, Joe Hart is a, is a good player. He's a good goalkeeper and he can pass out from the back and I think even in my this is just my opinion but say Nick Pope is a great shot stopper but then he's not exactly brilliant at passing out from the back I think we saw in the last England game the comparison between say him and Sir but he can still be in there and just be very similar to Joe so he's not bad modern football obviously is changing but he's still a very good goalkeeper but the timing of that and the nature of it it's just it's horrible to discuss when you want them to do well but it was wrong And Joe, I hope you're listening. Please do better next time so I never have to mention you ever again. (laughs) He did front up afterwards, which I thought I was quite impressed by. And he, you know, when pressed
4: on, on his error, he said that's the way Ange Postagoglu wants us to play and I was watching I'm pretty sure it isn't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly the way. (laughs) Because that's interesting because you sort of think just for those two minutes actually getting it launched wouldn't necessarily be the wrong thing to do but if you have a manager that wants to play like that and Postagoglu does want to play like that I mean the interesting thing is that they haven't They've been they've been good for spells of all these games. Actually, in that first game against Real Madrid, they were brilliant for 30, 40 minutes. But they haven't been able to stay in it for a whole game. But if they beat Leipzig, because because Real Madrid beat Shakhtar, that below Real Madrid now is is really open, isn't it? And and it would be wonderful to see them get through.
4: Well, they have, they have two games coming up uh, against Leipzig and Shakhtar at home, and then when they face Madrid. Madrid will probably have already qualified and might not go full throttle. So, you know, their their hopes are forlorn at the moment, but they're very much alive, I would say, and in their own hands. Uh, Sid, what did you make of of Real's win over Shakhtar?
5: It was... um in terms of the scoreline, far less comfortable than the game was. They won 2-1, it could have been 5-6 or 7. They they played really, really well, actually, Real Madrid. They, they're they a team that we've seen good things from in, in, in patches and this was, a, this was a performance, you know, far more continuity to it. Lots and lots of chances created. Rodrigo, brilliant again. And, and this is a player who doesn't necessarily have an, an obvious place in, in, in the team. And it, it does sort of feel like it's falling into place for Real Madrid, although Ancelotti has been very clear in terms of saying, we don't know what will happen after the World Cup. You know, everyone's kind of racing to the World Cup, but then post-World Cup, what do you do? And Ancelotti even made the point the other day that he reckoned that for the first couple of weeks after the World Cup, he might field teams purely made up of players who haven't been to Qatar.
2: Have they got enough players? I sort of imagine the whole Not
5: very many, but but you know, I, mean, I suppose, yeah. suppose some will go and not play very much. Maybe some will go and get knocked out early and come back quicker. Um there will be some kids that he brings up from, from Castilla from the B team. And and obviously, look, I think he's partly exaggerating to make the point, but I think I think we will see a, a really or at least from his point of view at least, we will see a really quite strange couple of weeks post World Cup because the team's come almost straight back into yeah. it. It's not like there's a there's a really significant break after it.
2: Um, the Vinicius goal was absolutely—it was a beautiful move, wasn't
5: it? Yeah, yeah, and 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 the kind of move that we we see flashes of that from Madrid sometimes, but not very often. You know, that that kind of the the, the quick interchange of passing, the, the 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 move when when every player or a number of players are involved, rather than it being kind of you know carrying the ball to a certain period on the pitch and sorry, part of the pitch, and then expecting a player to open it up whereas this is far more collective. And, and I think that's what's starting to happen with the, this Madrid team. There's a, there's, a, there's a feeling of comfort now. You know, it's been quite difficult to get to this point and we, you know, we all saw the way that they won the Champions League and that's not, by the way, to, to take anything away from that bloody other European champions and Spanish champions as well. But it's kind of, it kind of got there for a difficult route and now it feels like they've gone, okay, this is us. We're, we're totally in control now.
2: I need to mention Florentino Perez. I'm not sure we've discussed it on the pod, talking about the European Super League the other day he still seems to want it what do you make of course Of course he wants it yeah he's, he's what, what, what do you make of what he said how and how has it gone down in
5: Spain? well i mean it's gone down in spain because i mean it, it's it's weird the european super league the response to it here because it's kind of a dead issue but it's sort of there in the background and this court case about whether or not uefa is a monopoly is kind of being projected here which i find baffling as the thing that decides everything In other words, it's going to be the judges that say whether there's a Super League or not. No, 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 hang on a minute. It's going to be the judges that say whether there's a monopoly, and therefore the Super League, kind of the rump of the Super League, the three clubs that are left, will feel entitled to start pushing again. But there can't be a Super League if the English clubs aren't interested. And if Bayern Munich aren't interested, there just can't be one. However much a judge has said, yeah, you're right, UEFA is a little bit of a monopoly. Um, but Florentino said the other day, and I, I, I kind of, I'm reluctant to, to go down this route because we could be here all day. He used this analogy, and I sort of understood the fundamental point he was trying to make. He used this analogy that said, if UEFA had been in charge, Nadal and Federer would have only played each other two or three times. Uh, that, right. Now, obviously, the point he's trying to make is just because you play often doesn't diminish the rivalry. So I want to play a team like Liverpool more often. I want to play a team like Man United more often. And he used Liverpool as the example. He said, how could it be that us who've got the most European cups in the world and Liverpool have who've got six of them have only played, you know, hardly ever play each other? Well, first of all, they've played each other. I think it's nine times in the last 11 years. So It's quite a lot. Uh, and and second of this, Nadal yeah. <laughs> Federer thing, I actually was stupid enough or, or sad enough or maybe professional enough. I'd pr- probably prefer to say that. I went back and looked at their statistics. Yes, they've played each other a lot in a hell of a lot of bloody finals. You know, they've had to beat everyone else yeah. to play each other. It's not like it's been guaranteed for them. They've had to reach. I mean, basically, it's. it's um, but you know what? I'm going to I'm going to find my piece of paper if it's here. I know, mate, it's not. So- sorry, Max. Yeah, but anyway,
2: you. this is this is, re- this is live <laughs> journalism. It's extraordinary.
5: I did work it out and basically they played each other forty times these two, of which I think there was nine I think it was nineteen in, in or sixteen in Grand Slam games. So we, the ones that we could kind of count as being, you know, comparative to the league or a Champions League. Champions League esque. And yeah. a, and of those sixteen, I think twelve of them were in finals. So yeah, if you and Liverpool have got to all these finals, you could have played each other as many times anyway. Anyway, sorry,
2: rant over. No, 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 no. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, Group H, uh, PSG and Benfica were joint top. Benfica got a good draw, and they coming back uh, from behind uh, after Lionel Messi scored one of those Lionel Messi goals. He does. He's. I mean, it's interesting. You're saying, Sid, like the, the the players are racing towards this World Cup, and I don't know if this is happening with other players. You just sort of. You really Messi feel it really with him, don't you? So beautifully yeah. at the moment. And you just wonder how many players are gearing up for guitar. and like you say, will we just have this absolute sort of wretched two months afterwards, where everyone's just well? I mean, I
5: think to be honest, we're going to have it with us, the journalists, as well. When we finish the World Cup, like, let someone else write it. We're spent now. Uh, Messi, Messi definitely seems to be kind of heading towards that, doesn't he? Getting, getting kind of very much the focus on that, and obviously Argentina. Correct me if I'm wrong, is it is it now 36 or 35 games unbeaten for them? It's it's a it's a very, very long run. Uh, and this was the classic Messi goal. It occurred to me, one of the things with Messi, you know, we talk about players who shoot with no backlift. Messi shoots with no backlift at all, but he also passes with no backlift. You watch him play and his foot doesn't seem to move. The passes just kind of seemed to come out of his body. Um, he it was that yeah, was a brilliant goal. He's
2: really good. I mean, if only there'd been a he's quite good well, at football, yeah. Some kind of you know, <laughs> why have him and Ronaldo not played each other in Indian Wells and and <laughs> the stellar R2 r tournament enough? That's what's wrong with the game.
3: Maybe we need to see them play each other on different surfaces. I want to see Messi yes. against Ronaldo on gravel, I want to see Ronaldo <laughs> against Messi on clay. You know, let's have a
5: that would be brilliant. That if the Super League offered us that. Right, a quarter of the games on grass, a quarter of them on gravel, a quarter of them on a bog, you know, mm. a quagmire somewhere, really muddy. It'd
2: be great. In like a tarmac, like a little car park that you had to play in when you were kids and jumpers for goalposts. Yeah, suddenly I'm suddenly I'm interested. Um, that was a bad result for Juventus, wasn't it, Nicky, Who needed to win, they did beat Maccabi Haifa and foe of the pod, Rapio, Adrian Rabio scoring twice.
3: Yeah, Adrian Rabio was Rapio was Rapio, and um, look the um. It, there's always one or two groups like this I feel every year in the Champions League where you've just got one team that really doesn't look like it's going to get any points and Maccabi Haifa feel like that in this group not to criticise them they're in a very very difficult uh, group but when that's the case it only amplifies and, and focuses more your need to get results against the other two teams because that effectively makes it a three team group and you have lost both their games against um, the other two teams in the group so if they can't salvage that by possibly beating both Benfica and PSG in the last two games and they're probably going out now I don't think that's very likely to happen but they did what they had to do at least for the this game which was to win at home to to Maccabi
2: yeah and two of the guys I mean the Brabio's first I can't remember who played the pass to him and then the pass from Di Maria to Vlaovic were just both so beautiful
3: yeah this is a really really nice game from Di Maria and, and it's sort of a, a quiet subplot that has been going on that Di Maria seems to have sort of made these little actions that have suggested he's not entirely impressed with Max Allegri. And I think it was after the last Champions League game where he was seen sort of asking Millick, why 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 do you make the substitution? Why do you make the substitution? And and that sort of in the background has been a a, a question of, of whether or not everyone is on board with Allegri and in particular this new summer signing. But it was a very strong performance from Di Maria and reminded everyone what he's capable of as as the sort of facilitator in that team. So
2: all that means that PSG and Benfica are on seven points. You've got three, Maccabi Haifa, with none. Sid, before you go, and it's not a quick question, but we've had lots of questions about the Spanish women's team and was it 15 players who decided to go on strike? Um, it's a fascinating story and, and probably requires a lot of depth.
5: Yeah, it does require depth. So I don't know, I don't know how much depth you would like me to provide in, in, in a kind of a, a small section. Can I do the... The very basics, which is that um, 15 players said that they didn't want to be considered for the select to be selected for the national team, um, while the situation doesn't change. Now, the situation obviously wasn't made clear in in, in their in their statement, but they they it refers to some of the way the, the federation is organised, but in particular, the focus has all been on Jorge Vilda, the coach, and, and, and forcing him out. The federation backed Vilda rather than the players, so the last get-together, which they're, they're currently preparing now for games against Sweden and the US, who are number one and three in the world, those 15 players haven't gone, but it's not just those 15 players, there's a couple of others who've, who've backed it as well, so it's 17. And essentially, in, in purely footballing terms at least, these are their best players as well. So this this Spain team you know, has been completely... Taken apart, there is—it's very, very difficult to see any kind of solution to this now because the two positions have become completely entrenched, and it, it does feel very much like there, there kind of isn't a way back. And and I, I, I don't know how this gets fixed in in footballing terms. Obviously, there's a much broader question as well about about the. The kind of the, the relationship within the national team, about the development of, of women's football in Spain at, at federation level, about the commitment the federation has to that. But the, the kind of the basics is how do you fix this problem with the national team? And actually, there isn't really an answer. Okay, Sid, thanks, mate. Cheerio. Nice one. Cheers, everybody. That's it,
2: though, out in Spain. Uh, you know, only good enough for one part, as always, Sid. Uh, Let's <laughs> see you later, as the Zoom disappears with his grinning face. That'll do for part two. Part three, just a little bit of any other business welcome to part three of the guardian football weekly dave says quick shout out to preston who are 11th in the championship with 16 points have won three drawn seven and lost two and their goal difference is scored four against four in, in, in how many games is that 12 games they that's ridiculous did you say scored four conceded four can Scored for, conceded for all season. That can't season. be real.
0: No way. <laughs> <Thing>. <laughs>
2: no, 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 no. <laughs> Checking the table again. I know I checked the table when someone sent the question in, but it just can't be right, it's just, can it? It's- I mean, you're
0: it's not so it's so quirky, but then the downside is like, why would you tune in to watch their games when this is the amount of goals you'll get across all those? Like, it's so ridiculous in the table because you know everyone else is
2: like scored sixteen, Watford above them scored sixteen, let in thirteen, Wigan below them scored twelve, let in thirteen. You know the highest scorers are shoving United you know, with twenty, they've let in seven at the bottom. You know Huddersfield have let in nineteen, and West Brom eighteen. And then it just has four, four. <laughs> what a! <laughs> I mean, look. The beauty of football is that a goal is really important, and it and and none, nowhere more so than at Deepdale. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. If it's the first goal that goes in, that's it. The game should just be called off at that point. If it's the first minute, just say that's it. That's enough. We're not going to see anything else. That that'll do. And as well for the manager, it must be so conflicted, like celebrating the team. You guys are defending so well, but you could not hit a barn door with a banjo. So, like, what are we going to be? Are we going to be this team or are we going to be that team? Because to be the goal-scoring team, maybe that'll help a bit more. Maybe. They've had six goalless
2: draws in 12 games. Um, There was one season when Sean Derry was the Cambridge manager where we had the most clean sheets in the league and we came 14th or something. And that is a sign that, you know, you are not conceding, but you're not scoring goals. Well, Nicky,
4: didn't Milan once win the Serie A title scoring only 38 goals? Or am I... Mistaken
3: 38. I'm not sure if it was that though. Um, I'd have to check that one for you, Baz. I can't uh, tell you that off the top of my head. That sounds unlikely, but it's
0: Preston on the way towards finishing the season with somewhere between 16 and 20 goals. You know what I mean? It just doesn't, ugh. maybe they won't be on primetime TV for the rest of the season. Who knows?
4: Pre- Preston will score fewer goals in the season than Erling Haaland has <laughs> in three weeks. Here we go
2: Ninety-three, ninety-four. Uh, uh, Milanman Serie A, for the third consecutive time, scoring 36 goals in 34 games. And
3: le- <laughs> Wow. There and, you go, Max. And, and Lenny in dead 15.
2: On. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jim says, if the coronation ends up on the same day as the FA Cup final, wouldn't it make sense for Charles to hand over the cup and then the winning captain crown <laughs> crown the king? <laughs> That's a brilliant idea. But yeah, June the 3rd is currently the day of the coronation and the FA Cup final. So... It's a ceremonial day, isn't it, if ever there was one?
4: So you could have the winning captain with the lid of the cop on his head and then Charles with (laughs) the crown on his head. Absolutely, that sounds perfect,
2: doesn't it? Um, George H. and Tommy say, Hi there, I just thought I'd weigh in on the fittest 38-year-old discussion. How old are you, Nathan? I'm 35. Oh, right, nowhere near. Um, uh, this is a discussion of Eintracht Frankfurt's uh, Makoto Hosebi, described by BT as the fittest 38-year-old on earth. Uh, I'm not sure when his birthday is. It is the 18th of January. But serial world marathon record breaker... Uh, Elliot Kipchoge turns 38 on the 5th of November. I haven't been through all the 38-year-olds in the world, but I would hazard a guess he's a pretty good bet. (laughs) Makoto hasn't got long to enjoy his title title on the way, but, you know, he gets to be the fittest 39-year-old for 10 months before Kipchoge steps in again uh, in a year's time. Johnny says, Hi Max, long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm not sure how this passed me by. Does Barry know where Tom Huddleston is?
4: Yes, I think... Isn't he like one of those, um, what do you call them, comfort dogs? but in the Manchester United (laughs) youth team. Yes. Tom Huddleston of Hulls-Burson England
2: fame is currently an exciting youth player at Manchester United. Uh, For my sins, he says, I was watching highlights of this week's Papa John's trophy games. I thought I was having some sort of episode when I saw 35-year-old Huddleston praying a trademark ball forward to assist a goal against Barrow for Man United's under-21s. Turns out he signed in the summer uh, what's next? Dean Marnie pulling the strings as a Chelsea youth player. Is England's next golden generation actually a band of semi-retired pros in t- their mid to late 30s? I know the Glazers have been criticised for their recruitment model, but this could be a masterstroke.
4: Yeah, well, uh, is it, is it a comfort dog that you have for, you know, people on flights or whatever, insofar as he's been signed by United? He's not, never going to be in the first-team squad, but he's been signed specifically... To act as a kind of role model and advisor and confessor for the youth team players and plays alongside them and they benefit from his experience, so that's the kind of role he has. I don't think it's unprecedented.
0: I can't remember who the first one was, but I remember seeing I remember seeing Paul McShane doing it at Man United last season in pre season and he looked really strange because again this is somebody these people who are my age and. I don't love it personally because I think if I had someone in the academy and I saw someone who was 35 years old age playing instead of them, I'd be quite disappointed. But then from the other side of it, from my age, Tom and other people like this, they're in that sort of funny place whereby they kind of want to still play, but they want to start getting ready for the next stage of their career. And this offers them the opportunity to coach young players whilst also still getting a feel for, you know, playing some level of football. But again, I'm a bit conflicted, but I get it and cuz he's my friend I'll say he's doing a great job. There can't be many support dogs
2: who can spray the ball with oh. their left
0: and right with all their four <laughs> legs the way Tom Huddleston can
2: kick a football, right? God, there's no I I I I put him up there like in terms of joy I get from watching someone kick a football, I'm not sure there are many higher than
4: Tom Huddleston. Um absolute pleasure. I I I'm, I'm just um, like You hear about footballers after they've retired, and many of them say, I don't actually have any friends in football. But so far, we know that Nadum is busy with Dwight Gale, Joe Hart, Tom Huddleston. There are three, I remember, off the top of my head. There's presumably more. Yeah. Do you have any friends who aren't footballers? Gosh, (laughs) thinking about it.
0: Realistically... To be honest, it's weird for somehow the show just seems to name just people who, who I'm friends with, but it's like four or five. That That's as far as it goes within football. Then outside of that, I like to keep my private life really private. You know, I'm just live. i a very quiet guy. You know what I mean? Don't want to say too much or call them out. They don't, they don't deserve to be attacked by people on Twitter.
2: Well, hopefully we find out uh, purely by chance the other two people that made him like. So uh, emotional support animal, I believe, is the modern way of calling it a comfort dog.
0: <laughs>
2: there we are. Uh, finally uh, an email from jamie biddle who you'll remember barry wrote detective wilson back in the pandemic days um yeah. it was very kind of him we enjoyed it tremendously he sent me this email i asked him if i could read it out on the pod and he said yes and so it requires some thinking work here it's uh, hello max hope you're well mate enjoying ours just wanted to pop an email over because me and my wife kate are expecting our first child uh, we've decided to create a playlist for the birth and all of our friends and family are contributing a song to it. As for World Weekly really gave me a lot of focus during lockdown with Defe- Detective Wilson, when all of my projects got shut down, I was wondering if you guys would throw in a track or two. The playlist will be started once we go into labour. And after, we're going to let everyone know what our daughter was born to. If you chip, fancy chipping in one or two songs from the pod, I'd love to include it. All the best, mate. hope that your own journey as a dad is going well. Producer Joel suggests a, a Liam McClare loop. I wondered the string version of uh, Football Weekly that was written the other day, the Football Weekly theme. But you know, I I don't know about you, uh, uh, Nadim. You have a uh, you keep your private life qui- uh, quiet, but you are a, a dad. At that moment, exact moment of birth, in my experience, limited experience of once. You are not thinking, what's no. on the radio? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just... <laughs> a long no. way from your mind, it's going, no one tells you about labour, and exact that exact moment you're thinking, what the fuck is happening here? Why are all these people running in a room? What's that person got with a hoover? What are yeah, those clamps yeah, yeah. for? Yeah, Why is their yeah, blood? Help and me. As
0: somebody who's had three kids and three of those experiences, the radio was never playing but one time. You, you've been waiting for this child person... Nine, ten months, or whatever, and it's like, oh, oh my god! Like that, there they are! Like, oh my god! Like, oh, yeah. Oh, hang on, you yeah. that in the background, music-wise? No, no. There's no time for that. Just enjoy oh, the fact that you've just yeah. changed the world by adding one more. Well, Jamie would like us to choose a tune,
2: um, uh, Barry. I don't know if any spring to mind uh, that would that would be appropriate for. I mean, honestly, my mind just went to Salt and Pepper Push It, and it just doesn't feel appropriate. <laughs>
0: uh for me it depends if he, if he's somebody who want who's looking forward to having a child and all that stuff then great but if he's not what's the song it's the end of the world as we know it and i'm feeling fine yeah Everything's oh, that's about good to change yeah okay See?
2: so we'll add those to uh nick if Barry he's negative though on only this. if he's
0: negative only if he's negative
2: <laughs> imagine he's at least pretending to look forward to having a child <laughs> i mean i was in i was in complete denial and on day two both me and jamie thought could we just give this thing back. It's incredibly <laughs> nice. We don't want to fortunately i we're we're happy with our purchase now. Um Barry, you've got any any not none that are grossly
4: offensive.
2: <laughs> I think these are offensive enough.
3: It's quite a hard when you've been put on the yeah, spot to come up with the worst possible
2: thing. <laughs> well listen, you can have one of those two. Uh <laughs> and if we think of any others, I will email you Jane. But look, good luck. We hope it goes well and uh, many congratulations from everyone at Football Weekly and that'll do for today thank you Nicky thanks thanks Naidem thank you very much thanks Baz you're welcome uh, Football Weekly uh, is produced by Joel Grove with Cyrus Grey our executive producer is Danielle Stevens.
0: this is The Guardian